today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. How are we going to change? I'm not a worshiper, really. I, you know, when I, I'm not a worshiper. How can I feel in my heart and respond to the presence of God with awe and with wonder and with humility? I want to do that. How can I change? By praying. By praying, hallowed be thy name where you recognize that all of life is sacred. God doesn't look down and say, oh, that's secular. Oh, no, no, this is sacred. That's how we think. Oh, no, God sees the whole created order. He sees all of us as potentially sacred in that everybody was created in His image. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Hallowed Be Thy Name, and gives you a powerful glimpse of God's holiness, might, and overwhelming love for you. You won't want to miss it, so stay with us on The Winning Walk. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Hallowed Be Thy Name. Open your Bibles. Matthew chapter number 6. I'll read verse 5 and 6, then I'll read verse 9. Matthew 6, 5, 6, 9. Ready. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, your closet, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What he's saying here is who you are in secret, who I am in secret. Go to bed, what do you think about? Wake up, what do you think about? Quiet times by yourself, what do you think about? That's the center of your life. Who you are, who I am, is best seen in secret. What do you think about? What do you think about? What do you think about? And then verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's prepare for the teaching of his word. And, oh, Lord, we know that we have to prepare for your truth. We can't just come into church casually and expect anything except just a ritual or the motions of worship. Lord, open up our minds, our hearts, our ears, our lives to truth. As we seek to worship thee in spirit, our hearts are right and in truth, in full knowledge as to who you are. Let me get out of the way. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The first followers of Jesus were like a bunch of kids, just like a bunch of kids. Jesus went up to them, and they were fishing, engaged, I'm sure, in their family vocation, And Jesus said, follow me. They didn't know much about him. And they put their nets down and just sort of 
the Bible seems to say, spontaneously followed Jesus like a bunch of kids. Another had happened, follow me, follow me, follow me, and they followed him. How old were those guys? I don't know, maybe older teenagers, maybe early 20s, mid-20s, maybe a few in their early 30s, but they were like a bunch of kids. And I wonder if they ask, in fact, I know they ask in their mind, what is it going to be like in the future for me to be a follower of this man? What's going to happen in the future as I follow this man? They could never have guessed, could they? Not in a million years. Because as they followed Jesus, those apostles, disciples, they went from one mind-boggling experience to another. Blind man. Now he sees. Wow. Lame woman. Now she walks. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Storm. Quiets the heavens. Mm, Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. That was their experience as followers of Jesus. And then they saw that sometimes they would eat a meal and they were camping out as they were traveling primarily through Galilee early on. And they'd look up and they'd say, where's the master? And they'd say, well, he's, he's gone to pray. He'll, he'll be praying all night. Hmm. They'd be walking down the road and he'd walk on ahead and they'd say, well, what, what's his hurry? And they said, oh, look, 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 he's got that crazy look. He's, he's, he, he's, he's praying. Then he would lag back as they were walking. They'd say, what's he doing back there? Well, he, he, he's, he, he's talking to the Father. He, he slipped away over there behind those rocks on the mountain. What's he do? He's praying. This went on all the time. There was this private time Jesus had with the Father and the public time he administered the supernatural. And naturally, they began to ask, man, what's his secret? And they saw and discovered it was Prayer. Now, they were all familiar with praying. Did you know the pious Jew would pray three times a day? They would pray in the morning, the Shema. They had 17 different petitions they would offer to God as a ritual, 17 of them, count them. So they knew about prayer. They prayed all their life. Jesus, I'm sure all of his life, prayed those 17 petitions every day. But they saw in Jesus a kind of praying that was Could I say it? Out of this world. And so they went to him, according to Luke chapter 11, and said, we want to learn how to pray like that. And so Jesus gave them a pattern of prayer that we're going to look at. Now, somebody may be saying, we're studying the Lord's Prayer. That's the only thing in the Bible that I really know. I don't need to study the Lord's. Let me tell you something. I have preached and taught of the Lord's Prayer dozens of times. But in preparation for this study, I haven't looked at one word or one note that I've taken in all the years of studying the prayer. I started clean and fresh. Some of you don't know it, but I write out my sermons. I'm old-fashioned. 
I write them out. Usually they're about anywhere from 35 to 45 double space pages. Now, I just do that. I don't memorize it. Uh, somebody says, what do you do when you forget? I said, I keep talking until I remember. <laughs> and, and when you write it out, when you write it out, that's you. And so I, I write out as I study and as I prepare, and, and I just stand up and you punch me, and, and that's what God's laid on my heart. But I haven't gone back and looked at any of the past because I wanted what is said to be fresh. And God shows us things. You can take the same scripture and study it and pray over it and meditate, read commentaries, ask people, go to Bible studies, and suddenly you'll pick it up one day and it's like, that's the living word, isn't it? That's the living word. Some of you understand that. Some of you never experienced that. It is out of this world, out of this world. So we come here and see that Jesus taught them how to pray and how important it is that we learn how to pray. Let me say two things to you. If you really pray, these two things have to be in place, okay? You could say words, rituals, go through the motion, but if you really pray, you have to have two things operating. Number one, you have to know who God is. Number two, have to know who you are. Got that? You can't pray unless you know who God is, and you can't pray unless you know who you are. So you have to know God, you have to know yourself. Pretty tall order. First of all, we can't pray unless we know God. You say, well, what's that about? There are a lot of gods, so-called gods running around. Kathy Grossman, USA Today writer, responded to a survey taken by three Baylor sociologists. And uh, they, this survey gave how America sees God. I want you to look at it on your screens up there. This is how America sees God. Some people see God as a, look at it, authoritative God. See the blue? They see God as, thou shalt not, thou shalt this is the way, this is the way you go, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. Now, they see God like that. Now, to pray to a God that you see like that would be totally different from praying from a God you see as a benevolent God. See that? 22% of Americans see God as benevolent. Do you need anything? Do you want anything? I want you to be happy. I want you to be fulfilled. And if you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. I mean, God is just, what can I do for you? Well, I'm, I'm, I've got this, this terrible thing. I'm, oh, don't worry about that. It's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm like a grandfather. My grandkids can do no wrong. <laughs> and if I think perhaps somebody thinks they're doing wrong, I, I just leave them. I just say, yeah. But, but what if you pray to a God who's a benevolent God? And look at the bottom. What if you pray to a, to a God that is a critical God? That's not quite good enough. I know, I know you're praying. You didn't pray long enough. I prayed 15 minutes. Oh, you ought to pray at least 30. Oh, I read my Bible for an hour and a half. You should have read it two hours. <laughs> a critical God. 
that's not right. You're not doing it right. You're, you're, you're wrong. And boy, here's a God, everything you do, it's not quite good enough. You ought not to have done that, and you ought to have done that. A critical God. Look at the high percentage of Americans see God as a critical God. Then we talked about God as a distant God, 24%. These would be deists, I guess. They have the idea that God brought this world into being, the solar system into being, and just threw us out there into oblivion and said, whew, lots of luck, gang. Hang on. That gravity will just spin you. I mean, and, and they see God as a distant God. And there's the world and where we are up there. You pray to a distant God. How do you do it? I guess you have to, God, can you hear me? I can't hear you. I'm not even interested in you. Then you got that little small slice of people who are atheists and agnostics. They believe there's no God or we can't know God or we don't know him yet. And that, that's how Americans believe. That's their picture of God. There you have five different pictures. Now, if you pray to an authoritative God, you'd pray one day a benevolent God or a critical God or a distant God. You'd pray in different ways, wouldn't you? And your prayers would be invalid. They'd be nonsensical because none of these tell us who God is. That's the reason we spent all of these weeks talking about the names of God because when you reveal someone's name, you understand their nature and their character and their personality, their assets, their liabilities, goes with the name. I say Wayne Fancher leads the music. I minister music. Everything about him, depending on how much you know about him, goes with that name. You say the names of God, Elohim, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha, El Elyon. You're revealing God is making himself known in his name. So we see, we learn who we, who God is. Who God is. And so we want to pray to the true God who has given us a picture of himself in this book, and it's best seen in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. See, we see God. Have to have a true understanding, a true picture. We have to know God in order to pray. And look what it says, our Father. Look at all the plural personal pronouns in the prayer. Our us, us, we. Not in the Lord's Prayer do you find one single, singular, personal pronoun. You don't say, my father. Hmm. No, you don't find my father. My debts. My, it's not there. It's all plural. It's our, it's a corporate prayer. It's not only a corporate prayer. We say our, guess what? Jesus is praying with us. Who gave us this prayer? Jesus. He's saying our, we pray with Jesus. That's the only way to pray anyway. We can't get to the Father except through Jesus. And now Jesus says, how do you pray? We pray our. Jesus prays with you and me when we pray. I get excited about that and I think about it. I mean, Jesus is praying with us, our Father. And we can't pray unless we have a relationship, a personal relationship with the Father. And the only way we have that is through Jesus Christ. So we begin to see who God is and we pray to the true and living God. 
And that changes everything about our prayer, doesn't it? So we have to know who God is. Also, we have to know ourselves. There's a task. Why do you think God sent his son in the world? Well, you say, oh, I know that one. I've been to church to save me. No. He sent his son in the world primarily to make out of you and me a worshiper. Did you know that? Our first thing we are to be is a worshiper. Christ came and took a bunch of rebels and made us into worshipers. That's what we are to be, worshipers. You say, well, what does it mean to worship? Hallowed be thy name. That's the beginning step of worship. How do you like the word hallowed? Have you used that lately? No, it's a kind of an old-fashioned word. It's an Anglo-Saxon word. It comes from the English word hail, H-A-L-E. Say, I don't know that word. Oh, yes, you do. We say to somebody, how are you doing? Well, I'm hale and hearty. There it is. Now, what does it mean to be hale? It means to be holy. It means to be separate. It means to be solid. It means to be complete. So you say, how are you doing? I'm I'm complete, I'm holy, I'm solid, I've got it all together, I'm unique, I'm complete. All this is involved in the word hallowed. In our translations, most of them, even the new modern translations, they still use the word hallowed. And some of them have reverend, reverend, reverend be thy name, uh, unique be thy name, special be, but you can't beat hallowed, hallowed, because this leads us to Worship. Now, what is worship? Simple definition. By the way, if you ever write anything down, this might be what to write down. But I don't want to upset anybody. (laughs) Worship is to feel in your heart. It's to feel in your heart and to respond with wonder, awe, and humility. It's to feel in your heart and to respond with awe, oh, 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 and wonder and humility. You meet God and God meets you. Worship. Did you know we were all built to be worshipers? That's the primary reason God sent his son in this world to clean up our act on the cross of Jesus Christ so we're able to worship have a divine appointment with God to worship? We are called primarily to say, who am I? I'm a worshiper if I'm in Christ. Who is God? He is a father, our father. So we know who God is, and we know that we are worshipers. But in our society, how we have moved away from being worshipers, how far we've moved away from that. There is Moses in the wilderness, remember? All the people were thirsty. They were dying, and God said, Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses took that rod and struck the rock. Water came forth, but God says, Moses, you have responded to my sacred request in a very personal, secular way in striking that rock. 
Moses, guess what? You're not going to go to the promised land. His whole life was about going to the promised land. His whole reason for being alive was to lead the children into the promised land. But because he responded to a sacred request in a selfish, violent, personal, secular way, bang, he was prohibited. He was prohibited. Did you read in the paper about in a rural church, a young kid went in there and took a stick and just smashed everything. Did you read that? He just smashed up everything he could find in church in anger. Just smashed, smashed, smashed up, broke up the whole church. The reason was he came from a tough family, had a problem with anger. And he, he wanted to go on a church picnic, miscommunication. He didn't get to go. So he went in there and just smashed up the church. Say, so what's well, a horrible thing? The, the place that's set aside for for, for God's business to be smashed like that. But we realize that you and I are in the smashing business. We take sacred things, they become secular. We have smashed up sacred relationships, have we not? Marriage is a covenant, sacred. And we've taken marriage and made it secular and say, I'm just ready to move on. Or we say the dumbest thing of all, I just don't love you anymore. As if love is a feeling instead of an action. We smash. We smash the relationship between parents and children. Children are to honor and respect their parents. Honor and respect. And there is a biblical promise. Long will you be your days on this earth. The Lord, has, Lord thy God has given you. When you respect and honor, it's a commandment with promise. And we are to respect and honor our parents even when they're wrong, even when they're out of base, even if you are 81 and they're 103, the respect and honor is there. We have taken and smashed sacred relationships. And we've smashed sacred days. Did you know in the commandments, there's more written about the Sabbath than any other commandment? Than any other commandment. And we're in the new Sabbath. We're in the resurrection day of Sunday. And therefore, we should keep this day sacred. The scripture says we're to take one day out of seven and set it aside, and it's God's day. But what have we done? We have squeezed a secular in Saturday night. It goes on and on, and then Sunday, now we have all kind of games in Little League and activities. And Sunday afternoon, my goodness, there's always something going on. So we have squeezed out the sacred with the secular. And we forget that that first day of the week is a holy day. We've smashed Sunday. Also, we have smashed the sacred name. It is amazing to me when I hear people take God's name in vain. Let me tell you something. When that happens, you're in deadly barracuda waters with sharks spinning around, smelling your blood because God knows that you've not taken his name and made it sacred, and that's a big, big problem. Washington, D.C., elevator in a hotel. Crowded elevator, crowded elevator. 
And the last person getting on was the officer in the Air Force. And he got on the elevator. He had ribbons all over his chest. And some lady in the back of the elevator said, punch number five. It's about time you, Lord's name in vain, blankety blank servicemen rendered some service. The officer punched the number and punched five. Kind of a funny feeling on the elevator. You know, you've been around, something just kind of shatters you. And a guy said to the officer, said, uh, what's your last assignment? He said, I just got home from Afghanistan last night. He said, oh. The elevator door opened. The officer's getting off. He said very quietly, he said, there was an automobile accident, and I came home to bury my 18-year-old son. Elevator closed. There was a hush. There was a hush. Hallowed be thy name. We can't profane the name of the Lord. We can't do it. You say, well, how are we going to change? I'm not a worshiper, really. I, you know, when I, I'm not a worshiper. How can I feel in my heart and respond to the presence of God with awe and with wonder and with humility? I want to do that. How can I change? By praying. By praying, hallowed be thy name. Where you recognize that all of life is sacred. God doesn't look down and say, oh, that's secular. Oh, no, no, this is sacred. That's how we think. Oh, no, God sees the whole created order. He sees all of us as potentially sacred in that everybody was created in his image. That's tremendous, isn't it? We come to Christ, that image is beginning to be restored. And we become sacred. Everything we touch can be sacred. Second World War. Wallace is the only one here to remember that, old enough. Uh, In the Second World War, uh, Hitler came and bombed uh, the Coventry Cathedral there in England. And it was totally destroyed. It was left there in ruins, totally outdoors. And, And they went, somebody put a sign on the altar of it, it said, Father, forgive them. And then in this cathedral, they had these little chapels, these little alcoves here and here and here and here, all these little chapels all the way around it. And they put signs outside this chapel over here, and it said, hallowed be thy name in business. Another one said, hallowed be thy name in arts. Hallowed be thy name in family relationships. Hallowed be thy name in sports. Hallowed be thy name. And it went all around that chapel saying simply that in every activity of life, his name must be hallowed. Hallowed. What would happen? To anybody here, pick out any of us and say, in every aspect of my life or your life, his name can be hallowed. You can sign his name to it. So, well, you know, I've got some business deals I put my name to, but I don't want to put his name to. You know, I turn in my travel expenses. You know, everybody pads them. I, I, I put my name. I don't want to put the hallowed name to it. 
You know, I have this relationship that, you know, my name is on it. I'm a part of it. But, you know, I can't bring Christ. I can't put the name of God, the name of Jesus to that. I, I want to keep that sort of my own, my own uh, property there. You see, if we take all of our life, whatever we do, wherever we are, and say, in the sense, hallowed be thy name, everything we do is hallowed. Hallowed be thy name in education. Oh, what a difference. Hallowed be thy name in music. What a difference. Hallowed be thy name in, in what we read. Hallowed be thy name in what we watch. Hallowed be thy name on the internet. Hallowed be thy name. You see what a difference that would make? God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so we could pray. Hallowed be thy name. And if you and I can pray, really pray, hallowed be thy name, it means we know who God is and we know who we are. We are worshipers, and we're praising him by hallowing, making special his very name. Let me give you the whole gospel, the whole good news of what Christianity is all about in a different way. Listen to this. The highest became the lowest, so the lowest can become the highest. Did you get that? He who was the highest came all around to you and me who are the lowest so that you and me who are the lowest may go all the way up to him who is the highest. That's Christianity. Hallowed be thy name. S.D. Gordon has a little book, old book on prayer. And in this book, he tells the story of a 14-year-old boy who cut class for three days. And finally, on the fourth day, the teacher called, thought he was sick, and said, how's Stephen doing? And they said, what do you mean? Mom and dad found out. I don't know how moms and dads find out. That worried me my whole life. And so they brought Stephen in. They said, Stephen, it's a terrible thing. You've cut class these three days. You know that, don't you? Yes, sir. But Stephen, more serious than you cutting class is you've lied about cutting class. He said, if you lie, you can't be trusted. And there's nothing worse in life than to run into a liar because a liar just can't be trusted. And they said, Stephen, you understand that? Yes, sir. And Stephen, we're trying to figure out an appropriate punishment for you. You're 14. And your mom and I have decided for the next three nights as you cut school for three days, you're going to spend when you come home from school all the time in the basement by yourself. You're going to sleep down there. You're going to eat down there. You're going to be in the basement for three days when you're at home and three nights. I said, yes, sir. First night, Stephen goes down. Parents are trying to read and and the father keeps, you know, I don't know why my eyes are so watery tonight. I just, the mother's over there fidgeting around, picking up. And she says, I, I'm thinking about Stephen down in the basement. And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, I am too. They went to bed about 12 o'clock, tossing, tumbling. He says to her, are you awake? Husbands and wives understand that, don't you? You know when the other's awake. Are you awake? She said, yes. said, I can't sleep thinking about Stephen. I wonder if he's frightened down there sleeping in the basement. 
She said, I, I, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. About quarter to three, he woke up and sort of dozed off and woke up and dozed off. And quarter to three, he saw her turning and said, you awake? <laughs> she said, I haven't been to sleep at all. He said, I'm going down to the basement and spend the night with Stephen. So he picked up his pillow and his blanket, went down the steps into the basement. Stephen was on his bed. He hadn't been to sleep. He could see he'd been crying. And the father went down and lay down by Steve and put his arm around him. And their tears mingled on each other's cheek. And he said, Stephen, your punishment stands. You're going to be down here these three days and three nights. But he said, Steve, I'm going to be down here with you. I'm going to be down here with you. God woke up one night, picked up his pillow, picked up his blanket, and said, I'm going down in the basement. <laughs> I'm going down in the basement with all of those who are down in the basement. And I'm going to provide a way, not with a blanket and a pillow, but with a cross and three stakes. I'm going to identify with them on that cross. As they will die spiritually, I will die physically and take their punishment upon myself. The highest became the lowest so that we who are the lowest in the basement may be elevated with a clean life to the highest. If you and I can really Pray, really pray. Hallowed be thy name. We know who God is, and we know who we are, worshipers. God is Abba Father. You and I are worshipers, and we celebrate the fact that he who was the highest came down to the lowest in the basement. That's all of us. So we will be forgiven and cleansed and we can go up to the highest. Hallowed be thy name. Today's message on the winning walk titled Hallowed Be Thy Name. And Dr. Young is here in the studio with me now to answer a few questions. Dr. Young, I know a lot of people define worship as something they do at church on Sunday mornings, but being a true worshiper means a whole lot more than that, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. We need to worship Him in spirit and in truth 24-7. A Christian's life is a life of worship. It's not just worship in a formal setting or worship in a private setting with our daily quiet time, with reading the Scripture and meditating. Certainly that's worship, but it carries over until your life your lifestyle is filled with the truth of God, and that brings joy, it brings peace, it brings confidence, because we know that whatever we do, wherever we go, whatever we say, whatever we think, we're trying to give adoration and praise to the Lord God Almighty. So worship is something that we do corporately, we do privately, and we carry out in almost the hidden recesses of our heart as we walk through life. You know, Dr. Young, you talked today about confusing the secular with the sacred. What do you do to avoid getting the two confused in your life? Just once again, it goes back to worship. 
Uh, there's no such thing as this is sacred and this is secular. This is our Father's world. We are a creation of our Heavenly Father. And we are to understand that every particle of life, everything, every thought, every being, every activity, everything in the created order comes from the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, there's no dichotomy. This is sacred. This is church. This is the Bible. Oh, and this is a mountain, and this is a tree, and this is my computer. Oh, no. In God's kingdom, it is all sacredness because he is a part and desires to be a part every recess of our life. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.